Welcome to the Building Heroes Podcast, where we learn to build heroes in our homes to help our kids be prepared for their life journeys. Hi, I'm your host, Molly Christensen, and I love to encourage and mentor you on your path. Welcome to the Building Heroes podcast. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Angela Harders. She is a homeschool mom and also an author, and she has an interesting story to tell. So, welcome, Angela. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So, I would love it if you could tell our audience your journey and how, do you, how you got to where you are today and, you know, some of those bumps along the road that helped you get there. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm actually a public school teacher. So I have been teaching for over 12 years now, and I have officially taught every grade from kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and so because I was a teacher, I had always had a desire to homeschool my own children. I just thought it would be weird to go to work and teach other people's children how to read and do all these other things. And then to send my daughter to someone else to teach them how to do that. And I, you know, I really, I wanted to be the one to be there for those light bulb moments for her. And I wanted to be able to witness her learning and growing and all of that along the way. And so I always had a desire to homeschool, but because I was a single mom, I did not think that it would be possible. Um, So I continued working in the public school system. So I would teach at, at school and then I would come home and spend very little time with my daughter because the life of a teacher kind of never ends. I would come home and have papers to grade and all this other stuff to do. And, um, and it was, it was very challenging for me to balance being a single mom and being the kind of teacher that I wanted to be. And so I ended up putting my daughter in a public pre-K program And when she was in the public pre-K program, it was only for two hours a day. And so I figured, okay, you know, how, how bad could it be? She can go and have fun and play and two hours play with pre-K kids and have fun. Um, But she would come home literally almost every single day crying and saying that her, there were other kids in class that were making fun of her and that the teacher would be screaming at the children. And it just did not seem like a very positive environment for her. And it was, to be honest, I was heartbroken because I grew up loving school. You know, I got good grades and I had friends and was in sports and all this stuff. And so school for me was really enjoyable, which is why I wanted to continue becoming a teacher and spending more time in school. Um, But to have a child that hated school for me was heartbreaking. And, um, and then one day she came home and she had bruises on her wrist and she got off the bus and she was crying and said she never wanted to go back. And she showed me her wrist and she had these marks on her wrist and said that her teacher had dragged her to timeout. And uh, we were a gentle parenting family. So we didn't use punitive things like timeout in our house. And so, um, and then seeing the marks on her wrist was really upsetting for me. And after that day, I said, okay, no more. Um, I'm not sure how we're going to homeschool, but I'm going to try my best to, to figure it out. And so she never went back to school after that. And that was, I guess, the, the straw that broke the camel's back that kind of kickstarted us into homeschooling. Yeah. And that is a big bump to have your child have to go through things like that mm-hmm. in, the, in the school system, because you think, wait, my, you know, I want my kid there to be happy and learning and growing. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. 
So tell us a little bit more about your um, public school experiences and, and then how, like, how did you make the transition from public school teacher and homeschooling? Yeah, so I mentioned that we were gentle parents or that I, I practiced gentle parenting with my child. And a huge part of gentle parenting is having focusing on having a connected, respectful, loving relationship with your child and really having them take ownership of their life and, and their choices and having choices about you know things that they want to do throughout the day and just being respectful of who they are as an individual and as a unique person in the world. And so when it came time to consider how to kind of carry on those principles when it came to her education, I, the only way that I could really see to be consistent with that mentality was to explore this idea called unschooling. And I had never really heard of unschooling before, but a lot of people started sharing with me about unschooling. And to be honest, when I first heard about unschooling, I laughed. I was like, there is no way that that kids can just learn on their own. And, you know, how can they just learn to read and learn to do math and learn to do all this stuff on their own? And I I thought it was ludicrous. Um, But at the same time, I was going to school every day and seeing these high school students that didn't know how to read and didn't know how to do math and didn't know how to write and didn't care about the subject that we were teaching, like that love of learning and that spark and that desire to be curious and inquisitive and solve problems. It was like that had, that had died for them. Um, And it was something that I had seen over and over. I would see students come into school in kindergarten and they would be excited and passionate and curious and want to ask all the questions and ask why, you know, a thousand times a day. And then somewhere around third grade, it was like this light just flipped for them. And they they stopped that. Um, They started learning how to play the game of school and asking questions like, is this going to be on the test or will I have to know this? And so I started seeing that there was this dynamic in the public school system where kids were no longer learning because they loved learning. They were learning because they were going to get a grade on a test or they didn't want to look bad to their friends or they didn't want their parents to feel like they had failed. Um, And there were all these other factors that were impacting their choices in school. And and I just knew I wanted to preserve my daughter's love of learning for as long as possible. And so I figured I would give unschooling a try. And I I thought, you know, I could do anything for one year. And if I experiment with unschooling for one year and it goes terrible, you know, it's it's just one year, we can always change our minds. Um, And so that was kind of what I committed to myself. I would give it a try for one year and and really just observe. Um, And I I tried to think conscientiously, I'm going to take off my teacher hat. And instead of focusing on me being the teacher, I'm going to become the student of my child. And I'm going to observe her and I'm going to learn what are her passions? What are her interests? What, what does she like to learn about? How does she learn best? What is she naturally drawn to? What are her strengths? Um, what is she interested in? And just allow her to really guide and direct her own learning. And so that was what we did three years ago. And we have not looked back. <laughs> wow. That's actually really amazing that you could do like a complete 180 when you pull your daughter home and take off your teacher hat and just observe that's Mm -hmm. that's powerful stuff and so tell us some of the things you've observed how's it working for her to not have a teacher the the most 
terrifying part for me was reading um, because I was a reading teacher. I taught kindergarten and first grade and I taught them how to read. And I was terrified that I would be the only reading teacher that would have a child that did not know how to read. And, but I was so curious because I was hearing all of these unschoolers from all over the world saying that their children were learning how to read naturally, as naturally as they learned how to walk and talk. And for me, I just, I couldn't believe it. And I wanted to see if it was true with my own eyes. And so I really had to conscientiously be like, no, I want to observe my daughter's natural process and how she learns how to read. And sure enough, um, she's seven years old now. She's almost eight. Um, she's seven years old. She reads books that I read in fifth and sixth and seventh grade, like chapter books. Um, she reads incredibly. She loves to read. And not only that, she's actually written and published three books of her own. And it has been incredible for me to, to observe my child teaching herself and seeing all that she's able to learn on her own, obviously with support from me, but but really kind of taking that step back and observing her natural learning process has completely blown my mind. Yeah, that is really super cool. And I mean, the beautiful thing about homeschooling is that we can let the kids go at their pace. Yes. And some of them are going to be much faster than others and it's totally okay. Yeah. That is so true. And, you know, we see that in, in school, we kind of have to make them learn how to read when they're five years old, because there really isn't any other way for them to learn. You know, we want them to sit down and do worksheets and read in their little reading groups and things like that. But when you're homeschooling, you can learn in so many different ways. We learn through life experiences and we learn through watching movies together and we learn through going on field trips. And so we're learning in all these other ways that don't just require reading. And, uh, and you know, so if someone's listening and they're nervous about that, I totally understand. Um, and, and what I've heard is that children naturally learn to read typically around age eight, anywhere between age eight and age 12 is kind of the natural time that children learn to read on their own. Um, of, of course, you know, they're learning all the time. I mean, it's very much a, a wide spectrum. I would say that she started really becoming fluent in reading probably about a year ago. Um, and of course she's still, you know, there are big words that she might struggle with or ask for help with, but, but it, it has been really incredible to see that she has learned how to read without a curriculum, without formal lessons, without any worksheets, without any nagging or, you know, fighting over reading boring leveled readers and um, things like that. So it, it's been remarkable for me. I'm excited to see how it goes with, with my second child and, and to be able to see, you know, his own, his own natural learning process too. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. And I mean, it is hard when we're pressuring five-year-olds to read because some of them will be ready, but some of them will not be. But the teachers and the parents feel that pressure because they're going to get behind yeah. with the next year's curriculum if they can't read. And, you know, it, it's like we're pushing them all along on this, this one path right. when that may not be the path you're ready for yet. And yeah. so... Um, I find that really frustrating, <laughs> the whole, they're going to be behind thing when they're not behind because they're their own individual person. Right. And even just taking a look at that at a, at a global scale, you know, what is the message that we're communicating to children 
when they have that concept of themselves that I'm behind and, and they know, I mean, even in first grade, my students would know if they were in the low reading group, mm-hmm. like they would know. And it, it does something to them. It does something to their self-esteem to feel like they're behind or that they're slow or that they're labeled as special education or any of these other labels that we, you know, slap on kids sometimes. And, you know, what you said is so true there, there, it's not, there is no behind, there is no behind, there's nothing to be behind. You are on your own unique path and your own unique path is perfect. Yeah. And I think what it does too, is it really what it, it creates this whole culture of comparison. Yeah. And as adults, (laughs) we totally are comparing, you know, moms, we're getting on Pinterest going, oh, I'm not that Pinterest mom or whatever. (laughs) I could never be like that. And, and even while we might consciously know that comparing is probably not a good idea because it makes us feel bad. We have been brought up that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, that's not what I want for my kids. I want them to be confident and secure in who they are and where they are in their journey and, and be happy with that. Yeah. And not only the, the comparing, but also the competition that it creates between children, because now the other student that's in the class, they're not an opportunity for me to collaborate. They're not my partner in learning. They're my competition. They're, they're the person that might make me not be valedictorian or might kick me out of, you know, whatever the ranking is at my school. So when, when we have that kind of comparison with other children and we start to compare ourselves to other people, it just, it really fosters a very negative environment and, and an environment that lacks empathy and compassion and collaboration and connection and all of those things that I think our society desperately needs. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in the public schools, we have a whole grading system. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that and how you feel that motivates or affects kids. Oh, my goodness. I, this would be a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> um, if, if anyone is listening, I would highly encourage you to read two books. Um, one is called Punished by Rewards by Alfie Cohn. And the second book is called Ungraded. Um, and both of those books have been huge in my journey as an educator and also as a parent and just understanding the damage that is done through not just punishing people, but through rewarding people. And I think a lot of times we, we know intuitively, you know, when you're, when you're punishing someone or you're threatening them or manipulating them or humiliating them or isolating them when you're doing those things we know that that is harmful but we really haven't taken time to look at how rewards and bribes and incentives and all of these things actually cause a lot of damage it causes damage to our intrinsic motivation it causes damage to our self-esteem to our own desire for creativity and learning and and simply doing the right thing because it's the right thing. You know, we're looking for that outward validation constantly. That's where we get that, you know, perfectionism, uh, perfection, recovering perfectionist over here, you know, and that stems from that grading system of feeling like my worth is tied to this number that I have on my report card or this letter that I have on my report card. And, and it's, it's so, so, so harmful. And so there's actually a whole revolution that's 
been starting, I would say probably within the last decade of educators and hopefully homeschooling parents as well. Uh, I know homeschooling parents are very quick to kind of toss the grades, but but tossing that idea of constantly needing to assess and, and give grades and give marks to, to children and to qualify them on this scale of whatever and, and measuring them based on these, these really arbitrary uh, values. Yeah, and I totally agree that too many of us start to tie our worth to our report cards for mm-hmm. both good and bad. Because like, yeah. you know, what if you're getting good grades, then we're going to tie our worth saying, oh, see, look at me, I'm smart, I have good grades, and we, we're still tying our worth, to, or if you get bad grades, then we say, oh, well, I'm not, I'm dumb, I, I'm not smart, because I get bad right. grades, and it's mm-hmm. the whole spectrum of that, I mean, it's not that we don't ever need to assess our kids, or, but, but when we're, when you homeschool, it's certainly a lot easier to know what they know, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and it's not like we don't have to have expectations or anything either, it's just that I think in our culture, it's been shifted or, or not shifted, but maybe just pounded into us <laughs> that our worth is really based on comparison to others and, and, yeah. and our report cards. And, you know, it's funny because even though I homeschooled, I never had, I mean, I still homeschool, but, you know, I've had older, older kids who are out of homeschool and I never had, um, grades for our homeschool but when they got into college they still went into that whole comparison thing and the whole self-worth thing with the the report cards it's like oh no I got the bad grade and I'm like you know what but that's not you yeah that that just means you've got you you got room to improve which is fine you know because it means you can still learn in that area but it's it's just so much of a part of our culture Mm mm-hmm that we have to be careful. Yeah, it, it's very, it's very challenging. And especially as a teacher, I, I hope that there will be more teachers that will be willing to kind of take on this idea of ungrading that really focuses on removing grades from the classroom and instead focusing on feedback and focusing on the learning and really allowing the student to take ownership of the learning that they're doing and to choose the assignments that they want to complete and when they want to complete them and how they want to demonstrate their knowledge or their mastery of the content. Um, and I, I think that it's it's time in our modern era to be able to really give students that ownership to take initiative of the learning that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that word feedback that is key and that's what grades were intended to be but I'm not so sure that kids are taking it that way (laughs) yeah they they definitely don't they just um, you know they they want to know what grade they got and that's it and Mm -hmm. and a lot of times they don't even take the time to go back and review the comments that their teachers leave um, or see the feedback that their teachers provide because the only thing that they care about is whatever letter or whatever number is at the top of their page. And 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 it really shows a shift in focusing on the grade as opposed to the learning that's happening. Right, because feedback should be something that helps you improve. Mm-hmm. But right. in, in the way the system is set up, it's really hard to improve because you get your grade and you're done. Yep. <laughs> You know, you you really have no chance to redeem yourself either. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, I I know at least in the schools that I've taught at recently, they do allow students to do like reassessment and things like that. Um, But even in the reassessment, it's 
you know, they're learning how to play the game of school. They're learning how to do what they need to do to get the grade that they want to get. And, and that's it. You know, they're, they're not putting forth effort because they really care. You know, they're really passionate about chemistry, you know, or they're super excited about algebra too. Like it's, it's just another checkbox, you know, that they feel like they've got to just check off their list and, and get it done. But in reality, you know, I was, I was teaching special education in an algebra two classroom and, and I remember sitting there and we were talking about how to graph quadratic functions. And I don't know about you, but I have not graphed a quadratic function since I was in algebra two, you know, in high school, 15, 20 years ago. And so to see these students that are spending all this time and effort and feeling like they're failures because they couldn't figure out how to graph a quadratic function. And I'm just, I'm sitting there and I'm watching them and they're, and I'm just like, you are never going to do this again outside of this, this classroom. Like this is not relevant to you. And yet so much of their like emotional turmoil and their self-identity and their self-worth is wrapped up in what grade they're getting in this class that is probably going to be useless for 99% of them unless they go on and become a math teacher one day. But, you know, it just, it, it was heartbreaking for me to see that, you know, as, as a teacher and see these students just struggling through things that had no value and had no meaning for them and that they just honestly didn't care about. Yeah. Because what a lot of times happens is the kids are just like, just tell me what I have to do and I'll just do it or yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, you know, that, ha- that can happen in homeschools too, but at the same time, we can see it more readily. I think if a kid is starting to lose the curiosity and the spark. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think in homeschool, we have a lot of different ways to nurture that natural curiosity, you know, like they don't have to, like, they're not, we're not tied to the curriculum. Like the curriculum is meant to serve us. And, and in my case, you know, we don't have a curriculum at all. Like my, you know, as they say, the child is the curriculum. So my child is the curriculum that we use and we go off of her interests and her passions. And we learn stuff based on, on those things and try to focus on learning in a very natural way. Um, but, you know, unfortunately kids that are in school don't, don't have that opportunity. Although I, I would love to see some major shifts happen in education so that all children could have that Yeah, absolutely. So earlier you said your daughter's published three books, which is awesome. And I know you've published a whole bunch of books too. So tell us how you got into that. I love that you're the example (laughs) for her so you can guide her. Yeah. So actually the very first book that I published was called Gospel-Based Parenting. And it was basically all of my research that I had kind of compiled as I was studying the Bible, trying to figure out Ironically, I was trying to figure out how to spank my daughter the way that the Bible says. Um, and so that was what I was trying to, to do. And as I was researching and talking to other Christian authors and um, experts and pastors and reading the Bible for myself, I, I came to the conclusion that there really is no biblical basis for a parent to hit their children. And um, as I was, st- so I actually, my background, rewind, my background is in, um, is in 
biblical studies and um, in, I have a background in linguistics and Hebrew and Greek, and actually wanted to become a Bible translator way, way back in the day. And so I really love studying the Bible in the original language. And when you go back and I studied these passages that a lot of Christians use to talk about spanking. And when I looked at them in the original language, I was shocked. I was like, wow, there's, there's no way that, that we can apply this passage to children. Um, and, and so that was really shocking for me. And so I, I kind of put together all of my research and published my first book. And, um, since then I've published, I think like 16 others now, um, 16 other books. And I published a bunch of children's books and my, the series that I published for kids is called the crunchy kids series. Um, cause I wanted some children's books that talked about, you know, crunchy living and more natural things and talked about homeschooling and different things that we do in our family that I know a lot of families don't do like breastfeeding or co-sleeping or, you know, going to a chiropractor and stuff like that and using essential oils and all of that stuff. And, um, and so my daughter actually saw me doing those and she said, I want to write it, run or write my own crunchy kid book. And so actually the three books that she's written were part of the crunchy kid series that I started. So that's been really cool to see you know, her contributing to a series that I had created and adding, you know, her own pieces in that. And then the last book that I wrote um, was actually published on my birthday on November 30th of last year, 2021. And that book is called Tales of a Toxic Teacher, Exposing the Cycles of Abuse Within Our Schools. And so that was um, basically me sharing the things that I had observed in public school system that I had seen this these cycles of abuse, as I mentioned, things like force and threats and using coercion and manipulation and control, isolation, humiliation, a lot of these things that I had seen, as well as the bribes that we mentioned earlier, bribes and punishments, grades, you know, all of those things that all contribute to these cycles of abuse that children experience in schools that most of us just aren't even aware of that are happening kind of behind the scenes. And um, yeah, so that was the last book that I, that I published. That is awesome. And I, I love that you had your daughter help you write books too. My daughter, um, she's been writing books on our Google Doc lately too, which has been oh, so fun because my husband is, loves to write books too. Um, but uh, it's kind of great because, man, she's learning how to type and spell and compose and all this stuff. I'm going to have to make the right. <laughs> it is. It's really remarkable. Like when they have something that they want to write about and it really makes writing that much more exciting and engaging and they have something to say, you know, when children see the value in the written word, they pick up writing like that. And, and it's, it's pretty remarkable. So I'm excited to see what your daughter will, will hopefully publish in the future and, and see what she creates with her written word. Yeah, me too. But let's go back to your last book, too. That sounds so intriguing about all these cycles of abuse in the public schools. And it's not like, I mean, like the public school system there helps so many people. And you've worked in the public school system. And that's really interesting that you're noticing all those cycles of abuse there. And um, it's, it's well, you know, it would be a really valuable book, even for homeschool moms to read too, so they can see what's going on. So we're not copying it because I think that's what happens so much is we copy the public school system because that's what we know. Yeah. And that's what we do. Yeah. 
That is, that is so true. And yeah, my book is, I encourage homeschooling parents um, to read it as well as parents that do have their children in public schools, because I think it is important to see those, those threads of, of abuse. And um, what actually inspired me to write the book was I came from my own experience of being in a domestic violence situation. And so I was reading and learning about domestic violence and um, they actually have this thing called the, the power and control wheel that is available for like all the domestic violence websites. And they talk about these different aspects of, of domestic violence and abuse that happen in this power and control wheel. And as I was reading the power and control wheel, thinking about my personal situation and my marriage, I started seeing those parallels to what I was experiencing as a teacher in public school. And so that was what what inspired me to write my book and, and share and expound on how this power and control wheel that, you know, we use to talk about domestic violence, all of those same tactics are present in the public school, whether we, you know, we mean to, or we don't, um, because of course, every teacher, you know, we go into our career as teachers wanting to make a positive difference and wanting to love kids and make a difference for kids. And yet we have no idea that the nature of the system that we're a part of actually causes a lot of harm. And so I'm, I'm thankful for, for the ability to be able to be a homeschooling mom and have my child, um, you know, not, not taking part in that system right now. Um, but I, I know, you know, I know that there are parents that might have their kids in that system now anyway. And so they're definitely, you know, whether your child is in the public school system or they're out of the public school system, there are definitely things that we can communicate to try to help offset um, some of those, those, the negative things that they might encounter in schools. Yeah, I, that's very powerful stuff. And I think just having awareness of that mm-hmm. can make a huge difference, you know, and that's the thing too. Like, it's like you say, teachers go into their profession so that they can help kids, but you know, sometimes there's those restrictions on there. And then even at the same time, like homeschool moms, we we're teaching our kids because we love them and we want the best for them. But I think just because it's such a big part of our culture, it's easy to fall into some of those patterns and we don't even know it. Yeah, that is so true. You know, so, um, well, yeah. (laughs) I think it is an interesting time that we live in right now for Mm -hmm. so many levels on so many. (laughs) And I I think homeschooling is becoming way more popular than it has ever been before since we started public schools. Yeah. In fact, I saw, I saw a thing that said like in one area, like 16% of um, I should have looked up the stat first, but 16% of parents were homeschooling and I'm like, that's huge. <laughs> that is a huge jump compared to what, what has happened before. But honestly, I'm really excited to see that shift in education to go towards, towards homeschooling because, you know, as much as we try, I mean, my, my, when I was teaching, um, my first year teaching, I, my classroom had 30 desks in it. And my smallest class size was 35 students. And my largest class size was 42 students. And I only had 30 desks. And so that was, um, there's just, there's no way. I mean, even if I'm the best teacher in the entire world, there's no way that I could meet the needs of 42 individual students that didn't even have a chair to sit in in my classroom. And, And it's just, 
you know, with homeschooling, we have that ability to give our children that one-on-one attention and, and really focus on having a connected relationship with them and meeting them exactly where they're at. Like you mentioned, they can go as fast or as slow as they need, and they can take as much time as they want on, on any topic that they want, and they can really start driving their, their own learning. Yes, absolutely. And so this is why I just say, you know, we live in these weird times, but I think it's an amazing opportunity for, for educational change to come about. Yeah. I did. I did hurry and look up that, that, uh, statistic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it said in the spring of 2021, which is COVID 5.4% people were homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And then that fall, just last fall, it jumped up to 11% of people wow. homeschooling. And the 16%, what I saw was, is they had done it by race. And mm-hmm. 16% of um, it, this is um, black with 16% and Asian wow. 9%. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, kind of crazy that the increase yeah. There. And, and I That's think incredible. doing is sending a message that, yeah, we, we've got to change some things here in the mm-hmm. educational system. And I think that too, you know, part of that was just over having to take online classes and zoom from unprepared teachers. I feel really bad for all the teachers who had to <laughs> jump in and do COVID schooling. They have no, you know, yeah. adjusting to that. But I think too, that once they started doing it on their own, that a lot of the parents decided to keep going. Yep. Because they could see that it was better for their kids and it wasn't as hard as yep. they thought. Yeah. I know a lot of people were really kind of dogging the the online learning and it was, it, it just always struck me as so funny because, you know, in my head, I'm like, if I want to learn something, where do I go? You know, I'm not going to the library to check out a book on the topic. I'm not signing up for a class at my community college. If I want to learn something, I'm looking online, you know? So it's like, we all learn online every single day. And, and it, it's funny, I was talking with a friend about that the other day of like, so what exactly was that breakdown then that that students were struggling so much with online learning? And yes, of course, with the younger ones, I think <laughs> the tech issues that were probably very challenging with yeah. you know, trying to keep a kindergartner watching a screen for six yeah, hours. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, that part wouldn't have worked out too well. But, you know, speaking for, for the high school, you know, and, and at that time, I I was teaching, as I mentioned, I was teaching special education for the high school. Um, you know, those students can use a computer better, better than me. Um, they could navigate the technology very well, but the the motivation was not there. You know, like yeah. the, and and the interesting thing is that that wouldn't have been any different if they would have been in the classroom. Like the same right. students that were that were failing online school were the same students that were failing in the classroom. The same students that didn't turn in their work online were the same students that were not turning in their work in the classroom. And just in the classroom, you have, you know, you're physically there that you can be like, hey, wake up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but again, I think it goes back to that idea mm-hmm. of why are we forcing children to learn this stuff? Why am I forcing these kids to sit through an hour and a half long lesson about sublimation? Like they, they don't care, you know, yeah. this isn't valuable for them. What if we were to teach them how to, 
market on social media? What if we were to teach them how to edit YouTube videos? What if we were to teach them how to invest their money in the stock market? What if we were to teach them these other things that are valuable skills that they care about, you know, how to create really cool, like TikTok videos that they can make a lot of money doing TikTok videos, you know, like there are other things that, that children nowadays want to learn about and we can teach it to them. And I, I don't know, it just, a lot needs to change, I think, in education because we have access to these technology tools that, that we use every single day now. Yeah, totally. I do feel like typically I've just noticed this pattern that public schools are not usually on the cutting edge of technology. <laughs> I mean, what? yeah, or if they do go buy something, they buy the technology before it's actually developed and pay way too much. <laughs> that is very, very true. And then there's the whole learning curve of, you know, in order to be able to teach a child how to use certain technology, you have to know how to use that technology. Yeah. And so, you know, having teachers that are also learning how to be lifelong learners that are learning how to incorporate and try out new things and challenge and grow their own skills. Um, you know, it's, it, it's challenging. It is definitely, definitely challenging, but I, I think, you know, especially because we have access to the internet, they have access to be able to learn from people from all over the world and to learn the things that they actually care about. And when students care about what they're learning, nothing is going to stop them. They, they could learn anything much faster than if we were to try to force them to learn something that they just don't see the value in right now. Totally. And that's really what we want them to be is lifelong learners. Right. And, you know, it, as parents, we got to lead that way that way. And as we, I mean, you think about the way we learn as parents, if we're still learning, right. If it, we learn because we have something that we want to figure out and do, like, for example, you write books, mm -hmm. you probably had to learn a lot more than how to type on a Google doc. I'm guessing you probably yes. had to learn all these different things that you didn't even know you needed to know mm -hmm. until you started doing it, having those projects, you know, yeah. and it's, it's the same way for our kids. You, you may not have loved learning all those little bits and pieces, but you did it because you wanted the end result. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's the key is that I think when our students, not just students, but when anyone uh -huh. has something or a problem in their life that they're, they want to learn how to do something, they're going to work their way through the, the yucky parts that maybe they probably wouldn't have signed up or volunteered to do previously, but because they know that that's a stepping stone to where I want to be. And, and it's, it really is remarkable to, to see, you know, when, when, when students can take charge of their learning, the incredible things that they create, I mean, it just, it blows my mind, but we have to give them the freedom and the trust to, to live, to explore, to ask questions, to find their own answers, to think critically, to practice problem solving. All of those things are, are so important. Um, but again, it starts with freedom and trust. Yes, for sure. And really the whole premise of the hero's journey kind of just sums it right up there because as we let them go on that path, they're going to hit obstacles. Mm -hmm. They have to become problem solvers and figure out how to get around them. And, and that's how they learn and grow. And, yeah. you know, and that's what we want. But I think sometimes when we try to push them on the path, we're just like shoving them in the obstacles saying good luck. <laughs> and then they just lay down and give up because yeah. what's the point? Mm-hmm. 
it's very different when the, when it's an obstacle that you're, you're choosing to work through for yourself, you know, um, like you mentioned in writing a book, I'm like, okay, I know that in order for me to publish this book, I have to learn how to format this in word because I was a Google doc girl and Google did not like <laughs> publishing. Um, and so I had to figure out, you know, how to do this in Microsoft word and how to do all these other things. And, and, you know, it does, it, it, it requires this challenge, but it was a challenge that I was choosing because I knew that I wanted to get to this ultimate goal of, of publishing my first book. And, you know, our, our children experienced it, that too. And I, I love that example of the hero's journey of seeing them, you know, as they're making their journey, like we're not just shoving them on the journey, as you said, like, okay, just go this way and take over this obstacle. No, like they're, they're on their own unique path and they have their own unique goals and, and it's okay. You know, I think, for me as a homeschooling mom, being okay with the fact that my daughter's goals for herself and for her learning and for her life are going to look different than maybe my goals for her and for her learning and for her life. And to be okay with that and know that the challenges that she's choosing for her life are perfectly designed for her. They're perfectly designed for her. And as you mentioned, she's going to learn and grow from every single challenge that she faces along the way. And it's going to be okay. Yeah. And it's going to be an adventure. It's going to be fun. <laughs> and yeah. the light's not going to go out. Right. <laughs> spark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking time out and hopping on the podcast and sharing all these interesting concepts with us. And I would love it if you could tell us where our listeners could contact you and find your book. Sure. Yeah. Um, they can go on my website, www.peacefulworldschoolers.com. And um, I'm also on Instagram at Peaceful World Schooler, just one Peaceful World Schooler. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel where I post a lot of free videos. And um, I also have a podcast as well, which you were a guest on my podcast. And it was so great to have you as a guest on my podcast. So it's the Peaceful World Schooling podcast, which is on all of the major podcasting platforms. And yeah, but everything you can find on my website. Okay, awesome. And I'm pretty sure your book is on Amazon too, right? It is. Yeah. All of my books are on Amazon. So gospel-based parenting, tales of a toxic teacher. And then I have the whole crunchy kid series. Um, I also have a book that I recently published about typing. So learning, you mentioned, you know, your daughter's learning how to type as she's typing out her book and the story. And so I actually designed a program for my dyslexic students that would teach them how to type through using phonics and spelling patterns. And so if you have any Listeners that are interested in that program, um, I think it's a great program. I'm actually doing it now with my daughter. She's going through it. She's seven. And it's been really, really cool to see her learning how to type properly and then also learning how to spell and seeing her typing speed increase, which, I mean, as you know, typing, being able to type well is such an important skill nowadays because I I type more than I handwrite anything. So, yeah. Totally. Well, that is awesome. So, um. I've also found that it's easy just to go in and type your name, Angela Harders and Amazon and come <laughs> up. then you can find the author page and that's really cool. So, all right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the building heroes podcast. Can you help more people join the building heroes movement by sharing this podcast? More people can find it when you subscribe to the show, rate it, and leave a review. 
For more help on building heroes in your home, get the free Building Heroes resources at www.buildingheroesacademy.com.